This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Sport Pods. Hi, welcome to Michael Calvin's Football People. I'm joined by Jonathan Northcroft of the Sunday Times and by Miguel Delaney of the Independent. This week's special guest is Joe Cole. He, like Johnny and Miguel, will be in Prague on Wednesday to see if West Ham can win their first major European trophy in 58 years. From there, it's a quick hop to Istanbul and the Champions League final. More of that later, but first, West Ham, or more specifically, their manager, David Moyes. He's seeking the first trophy of his career. Now, Johnny, you know him well. I think the consensus within the game is that he deserves it, doesn't he? I don't think anyone deserves it more, really, Mike. For a body of work, for a real authentic football journey that, you know, started as a as a very promising young player actually with Celtic played against Ajax in European football. Didn't quite make it though as as a player in terms of his potential. Went to the lower league, Shrewsbury, Cambridge United, and and started building a coaching career. Even while he was a player, you know, he was one of those that was doing the coaching badges early, spending his summer holidays going to tournaments and scouting games. Became a player manager young at Preston. Took them from League One to a Championship playoff final. Lost to Big Sam in that final. There's the incredible, it seems incredible now, Everton, you know, 11 years, nine top eight finishes. I think football's changed. You look, Just looking back at that, you think, well, that will never be done again by a non-rich football club. There's a level of consistency there. And then, of course, I think the second half of their career started at Manchester United with the the ups and downs of that most incredibly difficult job that he, you know, I'm not going to pretend that he didn't make the mistakes. He wouldn't pretend that either. There were big challenges at that United job, but there were lots of things that he, I think he handled quite well personally. And then going Sociedad, Sunderland, I'm giving you the whole resume because I really see this as a football journey and the end point of a journey. And then West Ham saving them twice, sixth, seventh European semi-final, and now a European final, 20-odd years in the game, 1,100 games. 
it's an incredibly consistent drafting management career with a lot of near misses and perhaps not fully the respect he's always deserved, but respect from people within the game. And, you know, someone that's been quite close to him for parts of that journey, I, I just, I don't think anyone deserves it more for what he's put in, for the recognition that he maybe does deserve. And I've talked to him about it. You know, he he said to me, if I don't win, I've still had a career I'm proud of, but he accepts that there's nothing like a trophy just to confirm everything, to give people a reference point. And if he doesn't do it, though, he'll just be back for more. That's the nature of him. But I so hope he does on Wednesday night. Mm. Yeah, as we know, Migs, the game has changed around him in many ways, but his team's consistently reflect his traits, don't they? You know, I'm thinking of West Ham as a a team which is mentally strong and impeccably organised. Yeah, completely. And I think Johnny's line there at the end of Back for More is quite an interesting and instructive one in this case as well. I mean, and Unai Emery is someone we can actually bring into this conversation as well from that perspective, because similar to Moyes, actually, in that sense, in terms of how his teams are an image of him, there's maybe a bit of a, bit of a perhaps a fair perception of Moyes that what he can bring certain teams up to a certain level, if he manages above that, he then brings, at least in the last decade, or certainly since maybe the latter few years of his Everton job. But of course, the way we look at football as well is, or I, suppose, I think we're probably too conditioned with it, especially the kind of the meritocratic and often brutalist nature of the job, and that you're either going up or you're going down where it's a bit more complex than that. And again, Emery's had similar, given what happened to him at Arsenal. And now Moyes has similar, given his own experience at Manchester United, that he could... I mean, he, he already has had, I'd say, a redemption, given the respect that's grown from again. And let's not forget, I mean, he's probably quite a pilloried figure, not even, not even just after Manchester United, but after Sunderland, I think, where he's kind of... He, he's refound himself, I think, in that way, without necessarily navigating too much away from what made him such a respected manager in the first place. But now, on top of a redemption, we could have glory. And it's a, it's a very interesting personal sporting story from that perspective. Mm. There's so many storylines with this one, Johnny. One I want to concentrate on is Declan Rice. We all know the way football works, and this is 99.9% sure to be his last appearance for West Ham, his great farewell. Where best suits him next, Arsenal or Man United? Oh, I mean, all I could say to that, Mike, is that is that he would improve either team immensely. I think he would give Arsenal not just an upgrade in terms of the number six on on Thomas Partey, but he would he would give them a a little bit of the the character and leadership, should I say, that that they didn't have in the final stages of the title race. But you could say the same in some ways about United. I mean, they do have the figure of Casemiro in there, but he's the wrong side of 30, as is Ericsson. And, and Declan Rice is somebody you could build around. I know Eric Ten Hag really likes him. I know Mikel Arteta really likes him. And as you said, it's a great storyline that his last game could be you know, a final where he becomes the, the, the only the third West Ham captain after Billy Bonds and Bobby Moore to lift a, a European trophy. I just look at Declan Rice and think about the season he's had playing under the shadow of this sort of question of his future. And it's incredible what he's put in. That there's not been a there's not been a flicker of, of a lack of focus. There's not been a dip in performance. Because of that, I think he was tired at the early part of the season, but he's come on really strong in the second half. 
And he's managed to somehow, it's a really weird thing, but for someone that's about to leave a club, he's also managed to transmit incredible joy in playing for that club. I've almost never seen that before. But I think he's a special character, Declan Rice. I think when I look at that England team, I think, you know, you think who would I want to go for a pint with? Well, him and Jack Grealish would probably be the, the top two characters. There's something special at both of them. And it, it's the common thing is joy. You know, there's a there's a pleasure in being who they are and, and being footballers at the top level that exudes from both of them. I suspect Arsenal are the favourites to get him, but he would improve that those two teams, he'd improve Chelsea. I dare say he'd 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 be an asset to Liverpool as well. He's just a fabulous player. Yeah, there's a there's a broader issue here, Meigs. You know, lest we forget Rice was released by Chelsea at 14. This whole idea of the danger of premature judgment, you can extend that to Mikel Antonio, can't you? Six goals in the Conference League. It's almost another example of a player building career out of adversity. Yeah, absolutely. And similar to his manager in that sense as well. And it's a little bit of a kind of a trophy here would you know bring glory to... I mean, maybe it's not redemption in Antonio's case, but more so, more of that kind of uh, vindication that he was always better than his early career showed. And it, and it does, I, I suppose, in a football world where it, do, it can feel increasingly kind of um, homogenised in terms of the, the, the way players are brought through, even in the, as regards coaching, especially given one of the ongoing discussions in the game now is how you actually develop strikers. It is nice to see players come out of a different formative experience and kind of come back in almost the back door. I mean, all right, we're probably not really going to get, a, say, an Ian Wright's entry into the game ever again. Maybe the closest is Jamie Vardy, and J- Vardy was probably unrepeatable in that way as well. But it can still happen. It's not coming in so much through the back doors, coming up from underneath. And... Um, yeah, it's another actually nice little element about this West Ham run. Mm. Game in Prague, Johnny. I know you got a very brutally early flight there. Your sacrifices are not uh, <laughs> unnoticed, don't worry. Checkmates. You've got Suchek, Sufal for West Ham, Antonin Barak, who scored the goal that uh, took Fiorentina to the final. That's another element of it, isn't there? Yeah, of course. And then there's the, the there's the Czech ownership or part ownership of, of West Ham as well. That's part of the context. I mean, I think of those three players, probably only Suchek's a guaranteed starter. Sufal will be absolutely desperate to get in. Might not get in, though, ahead of Kerrer if he plays him at right back. But the, yeah, look, the, the venue's brilliant in some ways. I think it's great taking you European finals to places like Prague and, of course, Kefren's obviously trying to open things up to Eastern Europe naturally, uh, and so he should. Saying this, the obvious, I just wish it was in a bigger arena because mm-hmm. you just want both of those two teams. Fiorentina are similar to West Ham. They they don't get into European finals very often, but they're a club with a huge support and, and, and they need this final too, their support. I just wish it was at a bigger arena, but it's in a great city. So despite my 3am start tomorrow, I will be heading to Prague and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's true. You and about 20,000 others from West Ham and a similar number from Italy, I think. You've got Fiorentina finished eighth in Serie A, Migs. What about their style? Under uh, Vincenzo Italiano, 36 goals on the way to the final, which is nine more than West Ham. It looks like, to me, almost the attraction of opposites, this game. Yeah, absolutely. And in that in itself, almost the opposite 
to what so much of European football history would have dictated, especially when West Ham were going far in Europe in the past, where there was a certain kind of um, swagger about them. Whereas now, in this case, they're almost more like a classically Italian team, or at least we expect them to be in how they set up for this game. Whereas Fiorentina... Uh, and, and I think it, do, it does point to something in, interesting that's happening in Italian football now that was reflected in the Euro 2020 win, as well as the approach of some sides, if not quite the uh, the World Cup qualification, that it's probably, the, by the Premier League, which of course has, it's got a medley of so many different approaches because it's ultimately kind of a global league, really, and, and it's where all the top coaches end up going. So just by definition, you get a mix. Whereas Italy, I think, more as a product of its own coaching schools it now has a real tactical variety that you don't see in Germany you don't see in Spain you don't see in France and Fiorentina are under Italiano have been one prominent example of that with a real attacking abandon and it's going to make this and often okay there's nothing better than I suppose two teams just going out back and forth but when there's a classic kind of um a contrast that lends itself to a bit of a siege, defiance from the defensive side. They can often make some of the some of the, the greatest games. Again, one of the classic examples being Inter against Barcelona thirteen years ago, and, and it, it does kind of add it, it adds another ingredient to this match that actually has a lot of strands to it. Yeah, well, what they say in boxing, styles yeah. make fights. Yeah. yeah, look, let's be honest, chaps. The Conference League was dismissed by many, including me as an irrelevance when it was introduced. Now, Joe Cole knows how much it means to West Ham, the club, the manager, the players, and most importantly, the fans. So welcome, Joe. For players, football is a serious business, but... In many ways, the allegiances that you form as you're growing up can still be very personal. Now, West Ham was the club that brought you up in many ways. How yeah. deep is your affinity with that club? It's very deep. Like you said, it, it, I went there as a young man. Well, boy, I went there as a boy, you know, 12 years of age, and I learned my trade. I was Chelsea supporter as a boy, simply because I'm from Kentish Town. I went to school just off the Maribyrn Road. My dad wasn't a big football fan, so my, my best pal at school took me over to Chelsea as a 10-year-old to watch my first game. So, you, you know, that's who you support. So, but when I always say to fans, when you, when you play the game and you play for clubs, it's almost like you're going to the theatre, but you're watching the show from backstage. You're seeing how it is and you see all the... You don't just see the razzmatazz, you see all the nasty stuff as well in order to... And football in particular is a very brutal business. Mm. The, the only pure thing left in football, I feel, is the fans' love for their clubs. And they should be allowed that. They can be as tribal as they like. You know, they don't have to like anyone else. But when you speak to an ex-player and he talks about their affinities with, their, with clubs, and, like, and I say I've got a massive affinity with Chelsea, a massive affinity with West Ham... You know, in particular, I've got I've got a massive affinity with the Tampa Bay Rowdies as well. You know, because that was a big <laughs> that was a big part of my life. I actually probably I say to people when I was probably most content and happy was was in Tampa Bay. A lot older, I had my kids and blah, blah, blah. but getting back to it, your affinity with your clubs. You're not trying to pull the wall over anyone's eyes. I want West Ham to win this trophy desperately, and not just for my my pals who are still there in the staff, mainly in the staff, but not so much players now. I do I do know a few of the players, but 
I want them to do well. I want the, my friends who are fans. And like I said, we've had some special European nights these last two years. And, you know, it's amazing to see how big that club is, you know, how, mm. how important it is to the people. And But, yeah, it'll, be, it'll, it'll mean a lot to me, you know. And it's hard, to, it's hard for a fan to understand that, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But it's the nature of the club in many ways. And it's funny, I, I probably will get slaughtered by both sides for this, but Millwall is a club that I know really well. Yeah. And I see so many similarities between Millwall and West Ham because they're old-fashioned clubs, they're community clubs. And as you say, it's almost like a blue-collar club, you know, yeah. that that there's a really strong tribal identity. Now, because of that, you've got the fans I've got a friend who's going via Poland and he's going with his mate who's just flown in from, from Florida to get to Prague mm. via Poland. And people are making all sorts of journeys to get to the game. That yeah. tells you a lot about fandom, doesn't it? Yeah. Outside of the Champions League final, games I've played in or broadcast on over the last 25 years, this is this is the most people have wanted tickets. People I've done it, I ain't spoke to in years ringing me up. How are you? Do you want to? Do you know what I mean? It's got, you know, and right, listen, they might strike lucky, you don't know, but so many people want to come. And you're right in the sense that West Ham is a blue-collar club because it hasn't been gentrified yet. We live in a world, the Premier League is probably as corporate as you can be when you look at the sense of it, you know, the big clubs, the market, well, global strategies and marketing. Like, well, when I started playing at West Ham, you guys would have just rolled up to Chad Relief and sit down and have a cup of... Shirley would have made you a cup of tea... And you could chat to the lads and, you know, there'll be some fella over in the corner selling ookie suits and there'll be some fella over there with jewellery dealer or someone selling flowers for the wives. It was a community, but football's moved on like no other business in the world. And it's had to become professional and it's had to become, you know, it's a global, it's billions, billions and billions and billions. But at the core, at the sense of all football clubs, which are, I think, and this is not just West Ham, this is all football clubs. It's the connection with the fans and the community, which is, which is what it is. That's what the special part of it is. Not the lovely, wonderful adverts that get made celebrating London. That they're trying to get that glimmer of that realness from what it is. What it is is granddads passing on their love of the club to their kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. You know, talking about Bobby Moore and Martin Peters and Jeff Hurst and Paolo Di Canio and, and and then you know Declan Rice and you know there's there's a there's a lineage to football clubs and then West Ham have got that in abundance and mm. they must hold on to that and it can be a bit messy at times you know and it can be a bit but I I think that's the that's the beauty of 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 West Ham. Mm. You know, you talked about lineage there, Joe. I was doing a bit of research before we had a chat. There's been a lot of talk about this being, hopefully, West Ham's first win in Europe since 1965, you know, Munich 1860 and all that. Actually, <laughs> you were in a squad that actually won a European trophy or some sort of European trophy. You yeah. know, the Intertoto Cup, I'd forgotten all about that, and that yeah. sounds an absolutely mad competition where you've got three winners. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yourselves, Montpellier and Juventus. Yeah, yeah. It was insane. What's your memory of that? 1999, wasn't it? 1999, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we played we played Mets, who had Louis Saha, and Patrice Loco was playing. Was some, we played some good teams in that. We won, I think it was, it was only like a, 
pre pre season, wasn't it? Yeah, really? it was to get into Europe, and we qualified for the Europa League, which was the UEFA Cup at the time. But we won it, and and um, UEFA forgot to bring the trophy. Can you believe it? <laughs> so we we were celebrating it. It was about to lift the trophy, and they're all looking at like, and it was like there's there's no trophy. So uh, we were just celebrating, and um, the season went on, and uh, yeah, it was just just a bizarre bizarre. But Harry Redknapp talked about it the other day. I heard him say, and he reminded me that we I think. The teams we played were, 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 I can't remember, there's some decent teams in it. Like, there was... Heron Vane. Heron Vane were probably equivalent of Alkmaar, you know, at the time. They're good young players, good Dutch players. So, go over there and get a result and, and beat them. You know, so it was... <laughs> listen, it's not going to be one of them honours that I've will be on top of what I've won, but it's, it's something, you know, something you've won. Yeah, it was a real, real good time. But this, this is completely different. This is mm. this is a special time. And these group of players, they deserve this and the manager from everything that they've done over the last few years. Certainly the manager. You know, uh, David was on, on this podcast a couple of months ago and what came across from him, and he agreed, I think it was Pep Guardiola said to me, as a to be a top coach, you've got to be really in love with the game. And... Davy Moyes is in love with the game. He, he might have this sort of dour exterior. Yeah. But he cares, doesn't he? Yeah, he cares. And I think he's in the prime of his career. You know, when I speak to him, you know, decisions he makes. I was sort of second guessing the second leg against Alkmaar. I was really concerned with the system, you know, because they was getting a lot of joy in the midfield. And and he went with the way he plays always. And, and they went through comfortably, really, at the time. They never created anything really out there. His instincts, I feel, are sharp. You know, he's brought in great players, a Gerd, Kerra. Not every manager can have a career where they're like Pep Guardiola, where they just got a room full of trophies and they manage at the top. Managing a football club, you have to respect people who've managed Everton, who've managed West Ham. Preston, these clubs, you know, where a win isn't winning the Premier League because it's impossible. Do you know what I mean? Not impossible. Leicester's shown that it's one in a million it can happen, but he's done such a good job. And I think he's at the prime of his career. And I think West Ham would be very, very... It wouldn't be a good idea to let him go now. And I think... I think, Joe, that he'd be a very good director of football for the club. I, I think he's got too much... I think he's got too much desire to to coach and manage. And I think if he become available now, I think half the Premier League would want him. It'd be considered. You look at his resume, I think he's... And his staff as well, Michael. I think his staff have done very, very well. Mark Warburton, mm. you know, Kevin Nolan. You know, they're, they're, they're good coaches. All of them. I don't know. They're, they're, he's got a big staff, but they're all very, very good. I look at them. I'm fortunate to go into clubs and look around. They're like, And I feel like they're the clubs in a very, very stable position. Mm. What about the game itself on Wednesday night? It seems there could be a clash of styles here when you think about it. Fiorentina have this attacking philosophy, sort of four-two-three-one. They use the pace of of Gonzalez. You've got Cabral up front, who's the tournament's leading scorer. How do you see the game playing out? It's a clash of styles, but I think two that will, will, will could bed in well. West Ham are happy to to concede possession under David. He's, they're happy to sit in a low medium block. And counter attack, you know, defend the box well, three centre eyes. I think he'd probably go over back back five. Interesting what their manager come out and said about, you know, he's he's telling his players to use professional fouls. I think that's an insane thing to come out and make public 
you know, which tells me that he thinks his team's going to have most of possession and West Ham are going to try and catch him on the counter. But to, to say that, I don't understand his logic coming out and saying that because David will be well within his rights to take the article into the referee's meeting room and say, look, be mindful of this. You know, if they're not letting us break on them when we defended well, you know, so, yeah, I think I think that West game could fit into that pattern. Fiorentina having the ball, West Ham breaking with Ben Rama, Antonio, Bowen, Paqueta. I think the game hinges on how many touches of the ball Paqueta gets. I think if the West Ham can get him on the ball, they'll be all right. Mm. Stifled is difficult. Mm. Both finals, of course, Premier League against Syria are. Yeah. Um, you know, looking forward to, to Saturday night and the Champions League final, and I know you're going to that one as well. Inter, okay, three times winners. Can you compare and contrast the Mourinho team, which won in 2010, with this current Inter team? No, the, the Mourinho team that won it in 2010 was, was a lot better than this team. Uh, sack full of players, Samueto, Melito, Schneider, Zanetti. They was top draw. You know, this Inter Milan team have done unbelievably well and they've got a good system in place. They play with two centre-forwards as well, which is interesting, which would be a problem for Man City, whether it be Martinez, Lukaku or, or Zeko. I think it's going to be two of them on the pitch at all times, which I think bodes Pep a tactical problem because, um, you know, he, he'll, he'll want to keep his three nice and narrow. You know, so then you've got Dumfries on the right, you know, he's pace and power. Aki, sometimes if he starts, or a Kanji in that position, I don't know where, you just never know with Pep what he'll do, but whoever plays in the outside left position at times, he's going to have, have to get out there when Dumfries gets forward. Because you don't want Jack Grealish chasing him back. You want you want him picking up a position there. There's, so, there's a tactical element to the game. But whichever way I try and look at it from an Inter Milan perspective, I, I can't see them... I can't see them having any joy against this Man City team. Mm. The City team, it's evolved this season, hasn't it? You know, John Stones probably embodies that evolution. He's been exceptional in recent weeks, hasn't he? You look at that team, can you see any weakness in it? No, no, I can't. I think it's as good as a team we've seen in this country. I really do. Physically, they're, they're imposing. Big Diaz, Rodri... Aki, Akanji, Haaland, big guys, set pieces, they look a threat now and they don't look like they're vulnerable. So teams that might have gone right, we, we can stifle them and play them, then maybe we can deliver it into the box. And blah, blah, blah. No, you can't do that with them now. They Pep's dealt with that problem. You know, like I said, they got they, they sometimes they, they play with four or five centre-halves. So defensively, anything that comes bottlenecked through the middle of the park, you know, naturally, they're going to be cutting them out, reading it. Bernardo Silva's as good a midfielder as there is in world football. Kevin De Bruyne is Kevin De Bruyne. And you've got the most prolific young striker in the world in Haaland and probably the, the second best young striker in the world on the bench in Alvarez. Like I just, I'm just blown away by the whole way that Pep's put his team together and the club and the people above him. And they're going to win this Champions League. Then it's, I think every other big club in the Premier League needs to sit down and I think, how are we going to peg back this machine? Because they are just unbelievable. Mm, because I think if they win on Saturday night, it's 
almost like the beginning of a dynasty, isn't it? Because yeah. we mentioned this on the podcast last week, actually, in, in terms of how do you actually bridge that gap? It's so big. And, you know, you've got, you've got Chelsea under new management. You've got Spurs under new management. You've got Newcastle who probably have to make that quantum leap. Manchester United will have a second season under Eric Ten Hag. Where does the challenge come from, Joe? Well, it's going to be difficult because any one of them teams you mentioned, you know, they're all quality teams. You know, they've got international players. It's not like there's you know, there's an easy fix at any one of them areas where you go, right, we just need to put a centre-forward in there or a centre-half in there. All of them teams have got work to do and it's going to take time and they're all going to take points off each other. So even if one week Liverpool turn over Man City and then, you know, Chelsea go up there and beat them or something like that, over the course of a season, they've put such a body of work together over the last six years in terms of putting points together. I don't know who can be as consistent as them and compete with them. And I think it's something that that could be detrimental to the Premier League in the long term because they've won five of the last six Premier Leagues. I don't blame them. You know, I, I admire them for doing that. And what we need now is the other clubs to put the directors of football, the sporting directors, the, all the people behind the scenes who, who need to put their head up on, on the parapet and go, right, this is this is us, this is what we're going to do. You know, you need a team as well run, one of these top five or six teams to be as well run as Brighton and Brentford are, but shopping at the top level for footballers and doing that consistently, getting good players in, sticking with a manager through the little lulls that the might cut, and, and then building and building and building to eventually get to the stage where they can compete. Mm. Okay, so final point then. It's sort of tin helmet time. Yeah. Uh, predictions. Two English wins. Two English wins. West Ham's, I think, will be a scrappy affair. Low scoring. I think Man City will will win the game comfortably. I, I do. You know, no Man City fans would probably want me to be as blasé about it as that. But I think I, I look at this in the Inter Milan side. If Inter Milan win the game, it will be a smash and grab. Let's be honest. Like it's not going. There's no way they can go toe and toe with Man City. It will be one of them games where Inter Milan have two shots, score one. Man City have thirty shots and. The keeper has the game of his life. I can't see. I really can't see them. Regardless of the score, I'll be stunned even if it's a level game. In the sense that you know, chances of it could go either way. Man City, I think, are too good. Yeah, I think a lot of people will agree I'm with you. I'm not sat but... on the fence there, Mike. Have I? No, you haven't, pal. Thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> thanks for your time. <laughs> thanks, mate. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thank you. Cheers. Bye, bye. Well, I did love that Inter-Toto Cup story. I thought that was terrific. <clears throat> You're in a final and someone forgets the trophy. I love it. You know, as Joe says, Johnny, the game's come a long way. Is it almost too far now in terms of the disparity of resources? Yeah, I think it, I think it possibly is. I know I know what you mean by that. And, and I, it's something I've been thinking about quite a lot in, in the last month because we've just had the 40th anniversary of Aberdeen 
winning the cup winners cup manager shoehorn that in there again um, again <laughs> but you know I, that was me watching my club as a kid beating real madrid in a european final having beaten bayern munich along the way with an incredible manager of course in alex ferguson and but really a, a team built of scottish players superb scottish players but but you know local guys not signed for big money and yeah it just isn't going to happen very often and if at all, really, even even Inter Milan getting to the Champions League final actually seems a kind of shock in a funny way, and that's Inter Milan. So if you think about the the Conference League, I was sceptical about it as well, but actually you appreciate that it for the rest of Europe, for the non, I don't know, the, the seven or eight clubs who aren't favourites to win the Champions League every year, they, they, they are clubs, they, they've got fan bases, they want to compete for stuff. And I think the Conference League has had real meaning to it for that reason. You know, you've got the eighth team in Italy, you've got West Ham who, you know, 14th this year, but on average would be about the eighth team in, in England. And, you know, a competition where you've had Lazio going out, Villarreal going out, Nice going out. You know, that's pretty good. And and there is a, you know, I think Miguel touched on this sort of, sort of culture really at the moment among football fans. There is a snobbery born of the endless one-upmanship I think you see on social media from fans. Oh, it's only the Conference League. But tell that to the West Ham fans that are going to be there. Tell it to the Fiorentina fans and tell it to the players on the pitch. You know, I've enjoyed this tournament and and I think it's growing and it has got real meaning to it. Mm. Joe also made a really good point, Migs, about probably the mistake made by Italiano admitting the sin that dare not speak its name in football. We all know that Players are are schooled in the art of tactical fouling. But to actually admit it so baldly, that's a big mistake, isn't it? And also, do you think we're in an age now where there's almost a danger of, of the Europa League final complex, where matches are almost too big to lose? I mean, to be fair, I, I do think the Europa League, without again pinning something else almost entirely on Mourinho... That was a product of Mourinho being involved, <laughs> especially the way he approaches yeah, yeah, yeah. these games. Because I think it, it did actually go against recent trends where finals have been quite open. They're not quite as suffocating as we say we remember in the night. I mean, it was always a, the great cliche say about the FA Cup final. That was the one game. It was it was too suffocating an event. Similar with the Champions League for a while. But it's interesting as regards, I suppose, the gamesmanship and the way, the way uh, Italiano was mentioned and what Cole was referencing. I suppose the one thing it does from this perspective is. Now it means the officials are going to be more attuned. I mean, obviously they would have implicitly known, but when it's explicitly made clear, it gives officials something to watch. But then that's, I think, one of the ironies about this as well, and that you would have maybe thought in the age of VAR that it would have started to condition gamesmanship out of the, out of, uh, the sport. Instead, I suppose, it's made it a bit more... They've had to be cleverer with it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're in... A, a, you know, this season in particular, I've noticed goalkeepers being incredibly fragile around about halfway through the first half you know they they hit the deck and everyone everyone stops for five minutes we're going into almost storied territory Johnny Istanbul you know we all know about Liverpool Milan that was when I thought that was peak romance in European terms will we ever get that back well you mean 2005 was peak romance yeah yeah of course, we could get it back. I think probably. Well, I don't know if into in the is there a romantic way into Milan could could be Man City would be a romantic story, and in some ways, I don't know. There won't be. I mean, 
Liverpool, it was a romantic game, but Liverpool winning a European trophy isn't a isn't a massive shock, is it? I think we're not going to have the we're not going to have the underdog shocks anymore. But I think we'll football's getting. It's interesting what Mick says about Italiano and and the, the styles in Serie. I mean, I think I think in general, in general, football is becoming ever more open and attacking. May open, may open maybe isn't the right word because it's structured attacking, but it, but it is a positive game these days. The counter-attacking negative teams don't tend to to win stuff so much anymore. Even Inter Milan won't be as negative as a Jose team of, of of 2010, but I don't expect them to to take many risks. So I think I think we're in a good phase. I, th- I think we're in a really good phase. The last few Champions League finals have been pretty decent and. I think the the days that Miguel referenced of the the sort of nil nils. I remember the Milan Juventus one at um, Old Trafford was probably a low point for me in watching European finals. That that seems that feels rarer apart from when Jose is involved, of course. <laughs> no, actually, just uh, just on that because that was two thousand three. I was as a, a colleague put it to me the other day as he was watching the Roma game. Is this it, this is quite a reminder of Blair era football uh, <laughs> because what, that was when I suppose when you know. Liverpool and Chelsea were among Europe's two strongest teams. And both Rafa and Mourinho, I suppose, they played what could be termed as control football. Whereas, as you say, now it's all about kind of frenetic pressing that like inherently just increases the pace and the number of attacking moments of the game. Mm. Migs, you, know, you mentioned about the different styles within Italy at the moment. Simone Inzaghi, you can expect him to you know, defend low, be decisive in transition. Will that be enough for Inter because it certainly wasn't for Real Madrid was it against City I have to say the only way I can see <laughs> this not being a comfortable City win is if it's one of those days where because they, they'll have the, all the ball I think they'll go out in the way they went out in the Madrid game because in the Madrid game they obviously had to avenge what happened last season here they'll want to make right what happened in 2021 I think we're going to see a show of force from City from the start and the only way they don't blow into a way is if it's just one of those games where the ball doesn't go in. The one big thing I'd say for Inter, beyond the kind of pragmatism of their manager, which has been a very effective in cups, not least this run, is I think they've got more individual quality, say, than AC Milan. They've got about six or seven players who can really rise to the occasion in these sort of games. The market's been very strong in midfield as well. Even Lukaku, I mean, from speaking to people who know Lukaku, they think one of the great, not, not the mistakes of his career, because it was understandable, but one of the reasons he's had such a poor season was because basically, like a lot of people, he was trying to get himself ready for the World Cup. He wasn't fit enough. It did really lead to, I suppose, what became an embarrassing performance, really, the only way to put it against Croatia. But now he's right. They talk about him being in his best form, maybe even better form than when he left Inter the first time. And he's exactly the sort of figure that in this sort of game could suddenly stand up. I think that's where there's hope for Inter. But it does say, it does maybe say a fair bit that we're kind of we're looking to that, and it's true what Johnny said. I mean, it is remarkable we're in a situation where a club like Inter Milan, you know, who've had some of the greatest stars in the game, that it's a shock there in a final. And that's for all we've talked about. I think, I think the game is in a very good place in how it's played. There is an issue at the top in that it does feel, because of the wealth gap, the the kind of the elite end of the Champions League, I've never known it to be smaller, where it's basically a field's moment and has done for a while. It's the English teams then PSG, Bayern and Madrid. Now, Barca have obviously had other issues and that's pretty much it in terms of potential winners. 
and but then uh, despite and uh, that's reflected as well in of course so many individual leagues as well where so many have become one or two team leagues but it's quite it's interesting because below that below that what is a relatively predictable top end if one filled with very attacking football I've never known a time where there's like, like so much of it has been so I mean the Europa League this season up until the final was brilliant the conference has been really good the, the playoffs were superb the bottom half of the Premier League has actually been I mean it's almost a vision of what the Premier League could be like if it wasn't for the wealth of the big six or now the big seven you'd say with Newcastle and then of course in the Champions League it almost exemplifies this contrast because one side of the draw had all the heavyweights and the other side had Inter which is why they're here in the first place and kind of and who knows maybe it will come down because it is just one game and for all the greater this is the, the beauty of football why all these interests be they political or commercial or capitalistic try and buy it it's because of that remaining beauty and unpredictability of the sport mm. it's not just one game though is it Johnny it's, this is going to be about one man in many ways Pep Guardiola you know, he's he's waited 12 years to get this chance again when I'm offering or trying to offer some encouragement to fans of other teams than Manchester City I think well Maybe, just maybe, the City dynasty will be undermined at the point of Guardiola's departure. Will this win, if we're assuming they win, mark, not the beginning of the end for Guardiola, but will it maybe hasten his thoughts about returning to Barcelona? He said something lovely to me earlier in the season. You know, I want to go there and smell the sea. He's 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 an ever more fascinating figure. Actually, the, the the more we get to know him, and that is a that is an apt question because so much of his Man City journey has been this this quest really to try and win the Champions League. And I agree with you that that you know one of the curious things about you know City have got wealth beyond reason, but they've also got the best manager in the world. And it's it's hard as a writer to try and apportion what success is down to the machine and what success is down to the genius operating the machine and what happens to Man City after Pep Guardiola is a fascinating question. I think Jamie Carragher said recently that that's when all bets are off and that the dynasty might come to an end. Of course, Jamie's hoping that from a Liverpool point of view. All I'd say is that Pep's also never seemed happier than he does at the moment. The club's built for him. I think he's actually had a sort of vintage season in terms of trying things, finding tactical solutions. He's got a great project in Erling Haaland, who, you, you know, he's, he's clearly enjoying moulding. And he talks about smelling the sea in Barcelona again, but I don't think he's daft. I don't, I don't think he goes back to Barcelona at this very moment in time. He's shown throughout his career that he, he's got a talent for taking jobs that are well set up for him uh, at the right time. Mm. But also, I think when you look at his impact, this season in particular, I've been hugely impressed. Okay, it's been a unique season. It's demanded certain aspects of, of a manager's ability to manage his squad. But these tweaks, Miguel, I just want to look at John Stones, if I may, because I think he embodies the progression of Manchester City this season. Yeah, and, and there's been a bit of a kind of maybe, um, not quite revolution, I suppose, but at least in Guardiola's career with the use of stones, some of it has come full circle in that. It's been interesting because in order to... because I, I, Like, it's obviously... It's it's not a criticism, or, nor is it I don't controversial to say, for all Haaland's goals earlier in the season, 
it didn't quite work out. It wasn't completely clean tactically. There was an element of kind of him bolted onto the City team and kind of there was a compromise. And Guardiola obviously spent a lot of time figuring it out, particularly during the World Cup. And one of the solutions he came up with and the one that has basically been the source of this incredible run was basically going back to his past, to his own roots, because he's replicated, I think, the, the Johan Cruyff box where you have a, a player like Stones. I think in that, in that case, it was uh, Eusebio, uh, St. Cristan, who was a centre midfielder basically used as a, as a full-back. And it has been similar to, uh, with Stones, and it's just kind of rounded the team out. And uh, yeah, and Stones has been one of many superb performers for City this season. I suppose this, I mean, it goes back to even Johnny's point there about how much is the machine and how much is Guardiola. Well, I suppose even with players like Stones as well, it's all about the fact that the, the, the project has been all about him pointing best in class, that was the phrase commonly used, in every single area, in, including the manager. And just as, actually, as regards to that bigger question, I, I do think that if he wins it this year, I actually think Guardiola will try and go and win it. I think he might try and go for the record and win it five times, beat Ancelotti, just because he knows, I mean, as, as Johnny said, it's a club built for him. He'll never get better conditions. It's what Abu Dhabi have been able to afford and the construction of this project. And I mean, from that point of view, it actually could be a turning point final. If he, what's maybe more interesting is if the big shock happens and if they don't win it. Yeah. Well, you know how we love a crisis, Johnny, in our game. <laughs> uh, how about Erling Haaland? Yeah. Is he all that? He's actually not scored. <laughs> He's actually not scored now for three games against Chelsea, Brighton, and Manchester United. And he was on the bench for a fourth at Brentford. Is he all he cracked up to be? <laughs> <laughs> nah, he's, he's on the wane, isn't he? He's over over at twenty two. I've I've got a bone to pick with Pep Guardiola. I basically lost my um, fantasy football league on the final day, uh, <laughs> Borussia Dortmund style, because he didn't uh, didn't put Haaland on the pitch. I was certain I didn't think he'd start him, but I thought he'd give him at least half an hour to keep him keen and get him a goal. I'm actually I actually part of me wonders whether he did drop off in terms of his minutes towards the end of the season. And part of me thinks it's not just Guardiola keeping him fresh, but I wonder if it's part of keeping him motivated as well. Maybe it suited him for Haaland not to go on and beat Dixie Dean and score, break the 40-goal barrier in the Premier League. Because that gives him something to to sort of go for next season. I just wonder if that was part of his thinking, keeping him on the leash. He was he was interested in the cup final on Saturday. He, he, he missed a couple of chances, but he actually had a really good all-round game and he, the work rate he started to put in you know, it, well, he's always worked hard, but in a, in a very sort of targeted, effective way for the teams, really interesting. So you see, you see plenty of evolution there. But it, no, he's still pretty good, Mike. Mike, I think, I think, I think, <laughs> I think I'll give him this tip. Yeah, but isn't that the aspects of of City, you know, Migs? It's all about almost unremarked excellence. We're just used to it now. You know, let's take as another uh, uh, case in point: Kevin De Bruyne. 28 assists this season, yet people are saying, mm, is he is he done as much as he normally does? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say, one of the most striking sights of the last two months of the season, I think it feels like any any time I've been covering a City game, and you suddenly look up from your laptop because you hear the crowd, and it's usually it's De Bruyne and Haaland tearing down a goal. And that was, I know it was particularly striking in both the Arsenal games and the Madrid game. And But again, it points to kind of the solution. It's amazing to say a solution as if having all these incredible players was a problem in itself. But I suppose the solution of maximising them or the challenge of maximising them, that's what Guardiola has done, even with a player like Kevin De Bruyne. And actually, I would say that this is... 
maybe not. I mean, it's amazing you're, you're pointing to the assists there because it feels like in terms of goals, this has been where this has been one of the periods where De Bruyne has been most devastating. That's for sure. So as a final wrap up, chaps, Joe went for an English double on Wednesday and Saturday night. What about you guys? Yeah, I, th- I think he's right. I th- I, look, I, I thought he was very shrewd about the, 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 the Champions League final, and I'd echo what Miguel said as well. It's, it's really difficult to build a case for Inter Milan winning, and, and it would have to be some kind of freezing psychological sort of block from City's point of view, and a game where the Inter goalkeeper was brilliant and City missed chances and they got frustrated, all that stuff. I mean, it's it's conceivable... Brentford beat City twice this season, so maybe Inter Milan can, but but it's not likely. I think that's 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 a a sure strength. I think Miguel said that. I agree with that. I think they'll I think City will win and put on a show while doing so. The other game will be much much tighter because of that clash of styles. Funnily enough, I think I think it suits West Ham to play a more expansive team. I think it suits them to play a team like Fiorentina. But I do know that they'd have rather had Basel in the final. It's probably the toughest opponent they could they could have. I think that might be the better game, actually. Wednesday's might be the better game. I think it will be really, really close. And, and I do think West Ham will, for all the reasons of character and and and, and just quality footballers and Declan Rice and, and, and Antonio Paqueta, I think they'll do it. What about you, Migs? Yeah, I'd probably lead him towards an English double. I have to say, I, I would, just as Johnny was talking there, I was kind of rolling over my mind, even as regards the conference final. I think it will be close to a 50-50 game. I think it could go the distance even, maybe beyond extra time into penalties. If it is settled in normal time, just fancy West Ham maybe to to claim it. But I, I, w- I wouldn't say actually with a great confidence just because I think it's such a close game. Whereas, yeah, with, with the Champions League final, I'd go, I'd go so far as saying 3-4-0 City. Well, that would be some end to the longest season. Only two showpiece occasions to go. It's tempting to suggest the modern game will reach another tipping point if, as seems probable, Manchester City prevail in Istanbul. I'm not as confident about West Ham's chances, if I'm honest, but Fiorentina are eminently beatable. All that remains is for me to thank Joe, Johnny and Miguel and to thank you. The podcast is approaching 10 million listens. So thanks to each and every one of you. Your interest means the world to us. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.